reading an article recently where the author was lamenting about the polarization in our country, which uh, political scientists say is greater than at any time since the Civil War. A recent study revealed that one in six Americans have stopped talking to a family member or close friend because of their political views. And yet 93% of Americans say they are sick and tired of how divided we've become as a country. And of course, it's affecting the body of Christ as well, which is something we should all be concerned about because a divided culture needs a united church. Division in the body you know, really hurts our witness. But the issue isn't really about the disagreement. It's the disrespect. You know, disagreement is fine. Disagreement can be healthy. We can disagree with people and still treat them with respect. But what we see going on in our culture today is a total disrespect of other people. Not just their views or their opinions, but a contempt for the people themselves. That was the title of the article I read. It was called Our Culture of Contempt. And we see it all over the place, don't we? In the pride and arrogance of people who think they know what is right and yet express outrage or disgust at people who think differently. We see it in our families and workplaces, in schools and in the stores, in the political arena and on social media. It seems that there are no boundaries, no civility, no respect. In fact, it seems that some people are making a career or profit out of being mean and antagonistic. The more contempt they heap upon those other people, the more it gets them noticed. And you know, whenever we agree, we, we contribute to that. Uh, I know it feels satisfying when we hear about, you know, that those people are stupid morons, liars and loonies. But remember, when you find yourself hating something, someone else is probably profiting from it. It means you're being used and it devalues and dehumanizes those other people. It's treating them as inferior and worthless. And that in turn is leading to increasing anxiety and depression in our society. I don't know about you. I'm sick of it. And especially when it's Christians who are the ones doing it. You know, some of the things I read on Twitter these days, it's just depressing. It's wrong. It's certainly not the way of Jesus. And if I have ever come across like that myself, whether in my words or my attitude, please forgive me. May God forgive me. But maybe it's you who's been on the receiving end of someone's contempt, where you felt belittled or made to feel worthless. That might be at work or from family or friends. How have you felt disrespected? Maybe like me, you're sick of the contempt and disrespect in our culture today. Maybe it's getting you down, causing you anxiety. So how should we respond? Well, let's turn to Psalm 123, because that's exactly how this psalmist felt. So let's see what he has to say to us. Psalm 123, a song of a sense. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. 
for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. This psalm is one of a series of psalms that we're currently going through called the Psalms of Ascent. And they form something of a pilgrimage, originally for those who were coming home to Jerusalem. But it could apply to Christians today, for those who are exiles in this world and who long for their homeland in the new heavens and new earth. The Psalms of Ascent are about coming home. And home is where God is present. Last week, Evan looked at Psalm 122 and the invitation to go up to the house of the Lord and how because of Jesus, we can now experience God's presence wherever we gather. We are now the house of the Lord. God is present with us. And what we see in our psalm today is that one of the best things about his presence is the joy of depending on him. And that's really what this psalm is about, as the psalmist lifts his eyes to the one enthroned in heaven. But did you notice what caused him to look to God? If I can paraphrase verse 4, he's saying, we've had it up to here with contempt. We're sick of it. He even repeats himself. We've had more than we can take of the contempt of the proud, he says. And if you remember... These psalms seem to reflect a time when the Jewish people were returning to Jerusalem after being in exile. And they were surrounded by nations who held the military and political power, who did not care for the ways of God, and would have made a mockery of the Jews, belittling them, showing their contempt for them. And so the psalmist is saying to God, you know, we, we can't take this anymore. So what does he do? Grumble and complain? Retaliate? show contempt back, compromise. You see, that's how we're often tempted to respond, isn't it? But what does the psalmist do? In verse one, he says, to you, I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Now, eyes are mentioned four times in the first two verses to emphasize where the psalmist is looking and he's looking up. His eyes are fixed on the Lord. Where we fix our eyes is important. So often, you know, we look around for someone to blame, or we look for those who will agree with us and side with us. And we often look down on those who don't. How often do we look everywhere except up? C.H. Spurgeon said, we must use our eyes with resolution for they will not go upward to the Lord of themselves, but they incline to look downward or inward or anywhere but to the Lord. It's true, isn't it? We have to be mindful about where we are looking because where we fix our eyes affects our hearts. Did you know that? Where we fix our eyes affects our hearts. It affects our souls, our minds. If you're anxious or upset all the time, uh, if you're fearful or downcast, then where are you fixing your eyes? Where are you looking? The news? Social media? Where you fix your eyes will affect your heart. The psalmist is resolute. I, I lift up my eyes to you, he says, to the one enthroned in the heavens. And if we will do the same and gaze upon the one enthroned in the heavens, it will totally change our perspective. 
Look up to the one who sits on the throne, to the one who has authority over all things, the one who rules over all of history, over all the nations. Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and his anointed. Right? In other words, they show contempt for God. But then it says, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. In other words, he holds them in contempt. And then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The one enthroned in the heavens laughs at the futile attempts of man to stand against him. He is in control of all things. And if you will lift your eyes up to see him and know that he is Lord, not just Lord of all things, but your Lord, and that he is with you and he is for you and he's watching over you, as we heard in Brittany's message on Psalm 121. You know, if you will lift up your eyes and gaze upon him, then everything else will get into perspective. All the things that you get worked up about, all the things that make you anxious or fearful, the things that threaten you, that seem like giants because you spend so much time looking at them, they all get cut down to size. They all get downsized to their proper place when we see God in his proper place, the one enthroned on high. So where are you fixing your gaze? How much time do you spend looking to him in worship and in his word, in prayer and with his people? And then what should our posture be as we look to him? In verse 2, the psalmist says, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master and the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. As Eugene Peterson comments, the moment we look up to God, we're in a position or a posture of servitude. The psalmist says, as we look up to God, we are like servants looking to the hand of their master or mistress. Now, I know that in our culture, people react to the idea of being someone's servant because we value freedom. And we think freedom means being our own masters. But as Bob Dylan wrote, We've got to serve somebody. You may be a construction worker working on a home. You may be living in a mansion or you might live in a dome. You might own guns and you might even own tanks. You might be somebody's landlord. You might even own banks. But you're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Bob Dylan. You might say, well, I just serve myself. But that's not freedom. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden, where man chose to serve himself rather than God. And self has turned out to be the worst master of all because it's led us into fear and shame. It opened the doors to evil and violence and into suffering and death. And so again, as Eugene Peterson comments, the, the Christian is a person who recognizes that our real problem is not in achieving freedom, but in learning service under a better master. 
And in the Lord, we have the best master of all, in whose service we come to realize that we are the freest people on earth. You see, Christian servanthood is actually the exact reverse of what most people think servanthood is. Most people see servanthood as kind of dutifully meeting the needs of their master, kind of eyes down, focused on the task, you know, perhaps a little unsure of whether he'll be pleased or not, maybe a little fearful of his rebuke. But that's not the picture we get in this psalm, is it? The picture is of servants looking up to the hand of their master or mistress. Why? Why are they looking to the hand? Why the hand? It's because they're expecting to receive something. You see, Christian servanthood is not about us waiting on the master to meet his every need. It's about us looking to him to meet our need. It's the complete opposite. It's why John Piper said this. He said, the difference between Uncle Sam and Jesus Christ is that Uncle Sam won't enlist you in his service unless you are healthy, and Jesus won't enlist you unless you are sick. Jesus came for the sick, for those who recognize their need of his help. That's why he's been called the great physician. And that means we are his patients. Patients do not serve their physicians. They trust them for good prescriptions. And that's the image that the psalmist is portraying here. It's a picture, a beautiful picture, first of the authority and power of the Lord enthroned in the heavens, and then the dependence of his people who know they need help and who are trusting him, knowing that he is good and that he lovingly watches over us and will meet our needs. And what is it that the psalmist is needing here? What is he waiting to receive from his hand? What does he need in this culture of contempt? grace. Grace is what he's looking to God for. The end of verse 2 and verse 3 says, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Three times he asked for mercy or grace because the Hebrew word can mean both. It literally means to stoop down in kindness and to bestow blessing or favor, to show grace. Be gracious to us is how other translations put it. Those who humble themselves and look to the Lord in dependence upon him can expect to receive grace. The Bible makes that very clear. Proverbs 3.34 says, He mocks the proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. You know, both Peter and James quote this in the New Testament, and they both make a point of reminding Christian believers that their true enemy is the devil. It's not other people, it's the devil who is continually seeking to devour us, which is why we mustn't allow ourselves to get caught up in the contemptuous attitude of our culture that seeks to put people down, but instead we look to God. 1 Peter 5 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Do you feel disrespected? Are other people getting you down? Or is the culture making you angry, anxious, 
depressed? Can I encourage you to follow the example of the psalmist and listen to what Peter is saying here? Look upward to God. Cast your cares on him. Tell him what is happening. All the things that concern you and look for his help. Wait on him and expect to receive grace from his hand. He will lift you up. Let God deal with the proud, the scoffers, the contemptuous, right? We don't have to fear or retaliate. We don't have to fight our corner or take sides. We mustn't get caught up in the anger or outrage or, or take the moral high ground. We don't need to try and take our nation back. As Christians, we look to the Lord. We humbly wait on him, the one who is enthroned in the heavens. We look up to him and receive grace from him. And listen, it's not just so that we can stand firm and endure. We receive grace so that we can be conduits of grace in this graceless world. We receive God's favor and blessing so that we can be a blessing. As John Piper wrote, the biblical model of servanthood is to be a receiver which blesses others. It's why Eugene Peterson says that the best New Testament commentary on Psalm 123 is that final section of Paul's letter to the Romans that starts in chapter 12. It's where Paul says that we're to present ourselves as living sacrifices to God. You know, we give him our everyday lives as an offering of worship to him, which in view of what he's done for us is our only reasonable service. Not the dutiful service of those who are trying to please their master and meet his needs, but the service of those who are grateful recipients of his grace. But that service that we offer to God as worship also extends outwards to others, which is what Paul goes on to say in Romans 12. He says we're to use our gifts to serve others according to the grace given to us. And not just within the church, as he then says, in verse 14, it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is what Jesus did. Think about the contempt that he endured for you and me, how he was mocked, spat upon, beaten, endured physical and verbal abuse. You know, none of us will ever endure evil as Jesus did, and yet he overcame evil with good. He prayed for his abusers to be forgiven. He gave his life for those who put him to death, which is every one of us, because he died for our sins too. He overcame evil with good, and with his help, we can too. Ordinary people like you and me have the power to overcome evil with good. If we will humble ourselves, look to God, ask him for grace, and then allow his spirit to work through us. Overcoming evil with good means we refuse to play by the rules of this world because we are Jesus people. So when they hate, we love. If they curse, we bless. They seek harm, we seek good. Jesus is the answer to our culture of contempt, but he wants to subvert it through you and me. So what's he calling you to do this week? If you're not sure, let me give you some homework. Something really simple that you can do just for starters. Go find someone that you disagree with. Spend some time listening to them thoughtfully. 
and make sure you treat them with love and respect. Think of it like missionary work. God bless you as you seek to be a blessing this week. Now